The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, share and share share alike. Didn't your mom tell you that at some point when you were two or three? Mikey or Bobby or Mary, share the little toys you have, share your cookie. I know, I know. Well, let's talk about how that concept is all grown up. So following the lead of now established startups like Airbnb and Zipcar, you all know what they are, more companies are offering a unique customer experience that's designed for convenience, trust, and comfort, and I would say a lot more. And this is causing more people like you and me and everybody we know to wonder, what can we share? What can we borrow? What can we rent as a business opportunity? That's the key. It's not just share and share alike because you're a nice person or as they say in the Bronx, a nice poison, you are looking at a business opportunity. So a couple questions come to mind. Have we evolved into an altruistic society? We want to do good for everyone wherever we can. Remember, I just talked about business opportunity. And another question that perhaps is the most important, how is our now digital economy enabling all of this sharing to unfold? Our topic today is the collaborative economy. It's real and it's disrupting enterprises. Let me introduce the first person on our panel of experts. We always have a panel of experts. And today, first up is Bill Briggs. He's the CTO, Chief Technology Officer of Deloitte Consulting, LLP. And Bill has sent me a quote from John Lennon from his first solo album after the Beatles breakup. And here it is. I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. Bill Briggs, how potent that quote is. How are you today, Bill? (laughs) Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Talk to me. How did John Lennon get on? The belated, the last. Yeah, how did he get here? Well, I'm I'm a music buff. I I that's part of my engineer, but play guitar and piano. So it's another side of me. But I think it's I love it because it was on the first post Beatles album. I think it's easy for trading off a success. It's easy to kind of be stuck in assuming the permanence of. And let's put this in a business context of industry dynamics and customer needs and preferences and markets. Uh, and really, as we look at this issue, and I think broader and just business house evolving, you have to have a bit of humility as you look at you know, the potentially harsh judgment of how things evolve and you know, what's your willingness to reinvent. And Mr. Lennon did it pretty damn well, so I thought it would be a nice he way did. to kick it off. 
And Bill, I want it is, and I want to just reference those of you scratching your heads and wondering. The name of the song was God, G O D. It was very controversial. It debuted in the 1980s. Let's see, it debuted actually. I'm sorry, released on 11th December 1970 from the album John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. Wow, this goes back in time, Bill Briggs. And apparently, uh, it was a very controversial song, and it was also Bill. Do you know what movie it was referenced in in 1986? Bueller in the shower scene early on, a John Hughes classic. So I'm a film buff you, as well. It's a double double dipper for me. That's... You just won the trivia contest today. <laughs> and the, the song was also performed by Queen guitarist Brian May, who changed a lot of the lyrics. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Bill. Pleasure to have you and a very interesting quote. Let's move to our second panelist. He's a newbie here on Game Changers Radio. It's Troy Fulton. He heads global product marketing of IoT and M2M and mobile SaaS solutions and managed services. At Tango, T A N G O E. We're almost still on the music topic. And Troy has pulled up another old favorite quote of ours from Peter Drucker, the late great Peter Drucker. And the quote is Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Troy Fulton, welcome. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Bonnie. I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Interesting quote. We hear it frequently, and I'm intrigued to hear it in this topic. So tell me what it's all about today. Well, in the collaboration economy, right, you're looking at um, the blurring of digital and physical people, things, data. It's, it's no longer the traditional linear value chain of how a product or a service might be delivered. It's, it's, it's a network of peer, uh, I guess, peer trust amongst many stakeholders. And that thing, that's a different way of doing business for so many companies, such that the, the innovation or new value is delivered through the ecosystem of multiple stakeholders that the business may be trying to uh, guide. And so the traditional way of many, the way many people work today is, you know, there are handoffs. It's, you know, the different groups, different divisions, and that's going to have to change in terms of how, in terms of agility, data, collaborating, not just collaborating on a meeting or a project, but in real time continuously to respond to markets and changing market needs. Um, And what's going to be important, I gave a presentation about this about a month ago, um, people's heads were nodding that they're not ready. Mm-hmm. And they're uncomfortable. How how will they change the way they do things? Because it's very uncomfortable for people. So business leaders have to figure out how will we enable our culture to compete in this new world. Thank you, Troy. Very well put. And thank you for adding on to the interesting opening from Bill Briggs. And now I'm going to introduce our third panelist. He is a returning guest. He's getting to be our go-to guy, if I can put it that way, for these topics on collaborative and digital economy. It's Dinesh Sharma, Vice President of Digital Economy for SAP. And I believe this is a Dinesh Sharma original quote. Here we go. We cannot forget the concept central to the collaborative economy. Everyone receives some kind of benefit. As businesses start to make money, how can the initial concept stand up to this tenet? Dinesh, welcome back. How are you? Um, Pretty good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. 
Well, thank you so much. We just keep relying on you because you have so much good stuff to share, so much good information on the topic. So tell me, you've got some very interesting points in here uh, talking about the, the some kind of benefit, but then something changes when businesses start to get profitable. Why don't you tell us more about it, Dinesh? The, the central tenant here is, is it's been about mutual benefits since it got going. Um, if you want to use some of the examples that you kicked off with, something like an Airbnb or an, or an Uber, I never miss a chance to chat to an Uber driver when I'm actually uh, you know, taking a car somewhere. Uh, and you find out it's all about a lifestyle choice. It's all about making additional money on a time scale when they want to. They never are called to actually be in the car at a particular time when they turn on the app they are now available to the network. That is something that is absolutely consistent in what's going to continue to make this a success. The question mark's always going to be as certain businesses start to get into business, you know, uh, similar types of things where they're using third parties to deliver food for you and charging incredibly low rates. Are we touching on dot-com type economics where things like that are unsustainable unless you get to large scale? or not. I mean, um, it is going to be a challenge. The one fundamental I think that's going to carry through is that as millennials become the vast majority of the buying um, public, I think by 2025 they'll represent 75% of the workforce for that, therefore they'll be spending most of the money. They have a particularly different view to the reuse of resources, to the sharing of resources, as opposed to you know, I must have my own car. I grew up in a generation where mm-hmm. I probably inherited that from my dad. Having a car was a big deal. I think some of the data that we've seen from people is that uh, they would rather give up their car than give up their data plan. And so we're at the changing of the guard. There's a cusp that we're kind of reaching, and that's kind of where we, uh, where we see things moving. Interesting, okay? Dinesh. Yeah, I, I loved your example of... of um well, Airbnb, you can have, you can share your house when you want to. And, uh, Uber, you can share your car when you want to. And now I'm looking at the, at the Wikipedia page for Zipcar. I've seen them around. I'm in New York and I've seen them around, but I never really thought about it. And their motto or slogan, if you will, is wheels when you want them. So that's not just, I'll give you mine when I'm ready to. It's, you can have these when you want to. So is, is this, uh, Dinesh, we've talked in the past, uh, in general about the me generation. I want it now make it for me customize it for me give it to me when how where i want it deliver it and that's supposed to be the the wonderful excellent customer experience we're all looking for is this part of i i asked in the opening about altruistic society is it the me 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 society all over again well it's it's a it's an intersection of, of both right mm-hmm. it's there's the social responsibility of well i'm not really going to have a car if i live in the city and keep it in a garage or keep it parked on the street I really don't need that. And so um, there's a different way of looking at assets that you own. And as we have the capabilities to be able to deliver these types of assets, we have the software and the mechanism to be able to rent a car like Zipcar and make it cost-effective uh, at different, point, different times. Um, that suddenly changes the dynamic. People get to grow up with that type of technology. And the other important point to, to note here is that the acceptance and the... Um, Basically, the take-up of new technologies happens at a much, much faster rate. I think we're all, we're, we've all seen those examples of that the VCR took X number of years, the telephone took this. Now. I see things like today, apps suddenly become absolutely critical to you on your phone mm-hmm. within a month. 
that's the society that we live in, is the digital native society. If something fits and fits your lifestyle, its take-up is pretty much immediate. And once that happens, it becomes part of what we expect. And so the crossover between the me, me, me society and that, as mm-hmm. you say, an altruistic society, is I think is this very much sits in right in that gap, uh, the collaborative economy. Interesting. I love Venn diagrams. You might have heard me speak about that on previous shows, Dinesh, and I'm thinking of that's that intersection. Just like you say, the two circles collide, and there's a little place where they share some territory, and that's the link. Very interesting. We have so much to talk about. I'm loving this topic, and one more thing, Dinesh, before I circle back to Bill, who is waiting so eagerly to tell me what's in his cup today. I know he's been planning this for a long time, but uh, my question is, I just forgot my question. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, uh, my question is... Um, what is this? Do? We, we have to get to it later in the show. How is this disrupting enterprises that make their living serving these particular needs in culture? And, and the thought is all of the people who invested in taxi medallions in big cities, New York, San Francisco, D.C., probably Paris, London, if they still have if they have that type of purchase your taxi medallion and get a driver. People are expecting to make a full time living doing this. And here we have a hey, I'll just go on my app and Bob three blocks away is going to come and pick me up. I don't need a yellow cab anymore. So that's something of the disruption we're going to have to cover in terms of what it's doing to businesses that are traditionally in this space. Thank you, Dinesh. Let's circle back. Bill, you have been waiting so patiently, and it's time on the show to ask what's in your cup today or what are you planning to drink after the show. Bill Briggs, where are you calling from? What time of day is it, and what are you drinking, or what do you wish you were drinking? Well, that we won't go. That would take longer, the aspirational <laughs> bit. Uh, but I have been... Gorgeous Aspen, Colorado, actually, at a uh, tech conference. Uh, and I have a mix of a recovery drink because I woke up too early to do a workout um, because I knew the day was going to quickly get away from me. And uh, a three shot cappuccino in the other. So I'm kind of law of conservation, of uh, restoration and destruction of brain cells and body condition here. But uh, it's good. But uh, on Dinesh's point, by not, not to get us off of the Cup yeah, of coffee. Go ahead. I think the, the other event diagram that he hinted at, which I think is really important here, it's that overlap of you know, uh, asset arbitrage, where we're, we're mm-hmm. seeing a way to trade, monetize, optimize, and, and, and create markets around asset classes that weren't feasible before. With this experience, you hit on it with the, the, the me generation on just the timeliness of expectations, but it's really about an experience that's it's very seamless and optimized for who I am and what I need. And those two things, when, it, when I think about this topic, that's the mo- mental model I have. Of, you know, and that kind of drives where investments have gone so far and where I think the opportunities are you know, for startups and for large established players. Um, but that's a, that's a teaser after we drain our cups. We can come back to that, I guess. But I've never heard quite in such an eloquent and elegant description of what was in your cup. I think I followed most of that. I just hope it's good. That's all, Bill. Thank you very much. Troy Fulton, what are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking? Welcome again. Talk to me, Troy. Sure, hey. Uh, coffee. I'm in uh, Lewis. Delaware on vacation with my beautiful wife and my two daughters, four and nine, hoping that uh, I keep it quiet downstairs. Um, <laughs> I'm taking out my four-year-old. My four-year-old made me a little coffee cup with her hand print, and she said, uh, I love Lala. That's what she calls me, Lala. Not Dada, but Lala. 
And what kind of coffee is in that wonderful hand-printed cup, Troy? Is it full-calf, decaf, half-calf? Is it dark? Is it light? Do you have anything in it, any additives to sweeten it or not sweeten it? What? Tell me a little more. Uh, it's a blend of uh, hazelnut and uh, deep dark coffee. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's the right blend. My wife and I can both share and collaborate, and we're, we're both are happy. And that makes I'm, life good. <laughs> Have you ever ever seen the plaque some people dare to put in their house that says "Happy Wife, Happy li- Happy Life"? Have you ever seen that, Troy? <laughs> it's on my eyelids. Every happily married husband. Oh dear, we're having a little bit too much fun here, but you know what? We're still on the topic of the sharing economy, and thank you for bringing that into your your drink uh, story there, Dinesh Sharma. I think you're in California. Where are you? It must be now uh, seven seventeen. Was it really seven seventeen in the morning, Dinesh? Or what are you drinking? Um, yes, it is. And uh, I just noticed this is the very first time I've ever done your show, and I've actually been at home. So I am drinking what I normally drink at home, which is English mm-hmm. breakfast tea. So uh, I think the last time I was on the call, I told you I wished I was drinking a martini because it was 11 o'clock at night in Hong Kong. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a, it's a little bit different this time. It's uh, it's my good old English breakfast tea, which uh, I, I, is a mainstay at home. And do you put anything in it, Dinesh? Do you uh, any no, milk or milk. nothing? Yeah, I grew milk. up in England, so uh, so I'm I'm one of those people who put milk in tea. Yes. You know, Dinesh, we had some Brits on the show about six months ago, a British guest, and maybe it was a year ago. I'll never forget. And when one of the panelists mentioned that he or she was drinking tea, I asked, is it fresh brewed? Is it from a tea bag? And they said, it's a tea bag. And the British guest said, that's what we call dusty tea, because that tea bag's been sitting around for a long, long time. (laughs) And then recently, we had a guest who said he grows a tea tree in his backyard, and he harvests the leaves and takes them wherever he travels on business all over the world and can he can always have fresh brewed tea from his own tea leaves i didn't ask him if he reads the leaves he just said he brews them and we just left it at that so i want to thank my three panelists for a very lively opening our topic today it seems to be such a pervasive and interesting topic that in every comment our panelists have made the words sharing and collaborative and me ver- me generation versus I want to now versus I want to give it to somebody now altruism and the cutting into the equation of course the idea of business opportunities and profitability we have a lot to talk about again our topic today is the collaborative economy it's real and it's disrupting enterprises I'm Bonnie D. Graham thrilled to be speaking with Bill Briggs at Deloitte Troy Fulton at Tango T-A-N-G-O-E we'll ask him briefly after the break what they do and Dinesh Sharma at SAP. We're going to go on a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. Here we are, and I want to do a shout-out to Wilson. I still don't know how to pronounce his last name. Z-H-U. I'm going to say Shu or Zhu. Uh, Wilson is the, the brilliant person who put together this panel and helped to pick this topic. And, Wilson, always great working with you. And we are just a couple weeks away from wrapping up this series, so I certainly hope you will come back. I think next week is or two weeks ago away is the last show in Transforming Your Business. So I just want to say, Wilson, thank you for doing such a great job. There we go. Now, Bill Briggs at Deloitte has graciously agreed to kick off the roundtable segment. Bill's going to talk for about two minutes and introduce the following concept, and then we'll invite Troy Fulton and Dinesh Sharma to chime in. And we will start off with the collaborative economy. Bill Briggs says it is not necessarily something new. Free markets love inefficiencies, profiting from the friction as long as possible, then monetizing the ensuing disruption. That could have been your opening quote, Bill. That's packed with meaning there. So, Bill Briggs, <laughs> I, I love it. I sh- we should have used that for your opening. I'm No no disrespect to John Lennon and God and no, Yoko Ono and all that good stuff, but let's start here. Collaborative economy is not necessarily something new. Bill Briggs, go ahead. Well, so, I mean, just think, historically, we've, we've relied on Fixed market, you know, institutional marketplaces, uh, brokers, connecting supply and demand, a relatively discrete, limited number of asset classes that we could actively trade on. You know, we needed agents to drive accreditation of interested parties on either side and discovery and then handling and settlement of the trends. I mean, it's, look at, you know, marketplaces as they've evolved and there's something about it that's true and it holds into the collaborative economy, but it's been turned on its head because of I'd argue digital is, is one of the biggest things that's driven this growth in collaborative economy makes it something different, right? So you have the global reach instantaneously across you know, all interested parties, buyers and sellers, and participants in, in you know, whatever the economy is focused on, because you can have a very niche reach and focus. You've got the social aspect that's amplifying awareness, and also it's the factor that's helping drive trust and accountability, especially as... Some of these economies become disintermediated, and you have peer-to-peer interactions. Uh, suddenly, the trust of you know individual integrity and visibility of you know, individual actors in in the in the equation, and then you know the marketplaces, the ecosystems, the platforms that you might actually engage with. That all is very transparent and open, and helps drive growth and acceptance. You know, there's financial services being democratized to allow payment and clearing and insurance and funding mm-hmm. and things. And then it, probably the most important one is just this explosion of the types of assets that potentially can participate. I might have wanted to profit off of an idleness of my car. I'm a consultant. I'm gone five days a week. And so my car that's sitting in an airport parking garage, why not allow someone to drive it? And if I can have some, some bounds of the types of people that I'd want to open that up to and, and you know, the right controls on top to make sure I'm not going to be blamed for a hit and run or, uh, mm-hmm. or, or something more nefarious. Um, but it wouldn't have been possible 
So you have this combination of you know the Internet of Things driving more and more assets to be connected with intelligence to allow control and usage. You have the interesting kind of approaches that legacy companies, traditional companies have, and how do they open up what their core systems transactions data might be and allow it to be a participant in this. Uh, and maybe as an adjacency to a traditional business model, or maybe as a way to directly drive kind of new products and offerings and services. Um, and then you know, the barriers of entry are low, so it's pretty easy to come in, you know, supported by the cloud and the crowd and uh, all the things I just mentioned above. Yeah, it's, it's, it's relatively easy for new ideas to come to light, which is exciting. Uh, on, the, on the continuum for innovation and growth, that's tremendous. It's driving disruption. Um, it's also it has the threat of disruption for existing players, and so mm-hmm. that's forcing some moves that might uh, otherwise not be natural um, in areas, which is great because you know eventually we all win. Um, anyway, that was a mouthful, but <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. You covered a lot of territory there. Let me give you a break here and bring in Troy Fulton. Troy, comments on on this: uh, the fact that collaborative economy is not necessarily something new. Anything or everything that Bill just shared. Go ahead, please. Sure, thank you. So I, I completely agree with Bill. Um, the the world is moving away from you know, our computing roots in World War II, from you know, need to know, linear, and people having to change the way they behave in order to accommodate computing, application, data. Now the world is changing on its head 180 degrees where computers, apps, data, are accommodating the way we want to behave. And that's a very different way of being and thinking uh, and creating value. So in the, uh, as, as Bill and uh, Dinesh have said, that you know, it's about underutilized assets, creating new values for them. And um, in the digital business, it's, it's creating that value that's beyond the control of any one company, which means that people have to figure out What's my sense of risk here? Uh, as Bill was talking about, you know, there needs to be probably some sense of regulation in terms of, uh, take, take the taxi example, right? At least mm-hmm. the, there's, there's some risk there in terms of the medallion, right? Losing it, there's too many accidents. Um, on, on other providers in the uh, collaborative economy, it's, a, it's, it's brand trust of loss, not so much regulation. Um, so people need to think about... Um, how are we going to help people get their needs? How will we help be a stakeholder in this ecosystem? How will the end customers get their customized needs met uh, on on demand? And so I would argue that there's always been a me economy. Uh, it just changes from time to time, and I wouldn't uh, be hesitant to place that just on the millennials. Um, focus on, on, on just me. Uh, it's just new opportunities to get what I need. Uh, when I needed it, and uh, it started some time ago. As, as Bill said, as it's told me this is not new, I would say this started with uh, with iTunes, and mm-hmm. then it expanded rapidly with the LC iPhone and customized experiences when and where I wanted them. Thank you, Troy. Dinesh Sharma, lot to talk about. Join us. Yeah, so um, I do think, um, and you've probably heard me say this before, uh, in the technology world, we often have ideas a lot uh, earlier than they're actually economically viable to actually implement, whether it was the cloud or the, all these other types of things. This is 
typical of, of, of what we do in, in, in our particular business. But I do think that the underlying technology, I think it's a point that Bill made a little bit earlier, is, is a confluence of technologies which have arrived that allow us to start to do this more effectively. And when it gets past the tipping point of one or two things in our life, and it becomes part of everything we do, and I confidently do expect that in the year 2020, sharing, we won't think twice about it. It will just be the way we, we do a lot of things. Whereas, as I pointed out today, owning a car, you know, my dad grew up after the war, you know, it was a mm-hmm. rite of passage to own a car. You it's bet. kind of irrelevant. I think some of the data, I think we captured it with a large telco. We actually did a survey, and people under the age of 25 in North America we said, would you rather lose your car or lose your data plan? 92% said they'd lose the car. And so mm. there's a level of connectivity that they want to get access to these services because they've already deemed something I thought was a rite of passage and something important to me um, is irrelevant to them. And now that these technologies are available, and I think the point that Bill made about, I think he said uh, his car sitting in, in the airport garage, um, the thing about that then is once you are able to monitor these things, once you suddenly have the ability to understand what that asset is doing on a daily basis or potentially have a third party manage that asset for you, suddenly the world is different. I mean, if you look at something like um, Airbnb, I mean, they've set out a model. They are a technology company. They've looked at a problem in a completely different light than, um, say, a hotel chain. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I use this example quite often. I often say if nothing stopped Hyatt or Wyndham creating Airbnb, you know, doing what Airbnb did, but their solution to that problem would have been to build more hotels. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize it was an accommodation problem. They're looking around and saying that hotels actually provide accommodation for people rather than, no, we're in the hoteling business. They're already down the chain, the value chain. Uh, but that's part, that's, it's guilty because I'm probably part of the problem. I never say to my admin, I'm going to Philadelphia, find me accommodation in, in Philadelphia. I always tell her to find me a hotel room, right? But mm-hmm. slowly but surely, these things will change over time. And, you know, there's technology and then there's meta-technologies which are coming into play which are going to make it even easier. I think um, there is example of, of products like um, Near Me, which is going to be, it's kind of like it will allow you to build your own Airbnb, a marketplace for your services um, mm. if you want to. And so suddenly you don't even need to be a technology company to have the kind of technology muscle that an Uber or an Airbnb can throw particular problems. And so, you know, Again, I keep talking about we're at the cusp of this. Some things, some ideas are going to fail. You know, five years from now, we're going to laugh at some ideas and say, who would have thought that, you know, that's useful for sharing. Right now, mm-hmm. everybody's kind of looking at it and wants to take everything on. Um, but, um, again, there will be fallout. Um, there always is. But when there's fallout, there's tremendous opportunity to disrupt some of these traditional value chains. Places where you have been stuck in for years suddenly become open to you the ability to reach directly to a customer where previously you were hidden behind two or three layers. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the opportunities that we are now seeing, and these marketplaces and the ability to, to, get, your, um, to get your service out there uh, are definitely part of that. 
Thank you, Dinesh. Speaking of hotels, I was upstate in upstate New York over the weekend staying at a Hilton Doubletree. I'll leave the, the place uh, blank here just for purposes of privacy. But uh, I didn't know that Hilton Doubletree was in the bakery business. Did you know that, Dinesh? No, I didn't. No. The most fantastic, it tasted like fresh out of the oven, chocolate chip cookie, one in, in a little brown bag, was given to every person who checked into the hotel the night we were there. <laughs> And I, I, my uh, partner, my boyfriend I was with, doesn't like sweets, so I pocketed the extra cookie and took it home. <laughs> and when I got home, I looked, and it said, if you loved our cookies, you, we can either buy them on site or here's a website. I think it's Doubletree, HiltonDoubletree.com slash buy cookies or something like that. They're now in the chocolate chip cookie mm. delivery business at a hotel. Who would have ever thought that by delighting me when I, I just mm. never thought Hilton would be in the bakery. So talk about expanding and giving people what they want. Oh yeah, we really needed sugar after a six hour trip and it felt great. So mm-hmm. let me go back. To, it was delicious. Bill Briggs, talk to me. Thoughts on everything. We've covered a lot of ground. You started with our opening topic uh, in opening of the roundtable, collaborative economy, not necessarily something new. And Troy Fulton at Tango has added to that. Dinesh Sharma at SAP. Anything you want to wrap up before I start moving on to some topics from Troy Fulton? Bill? I think an interesting angle we've hinted on here is that the human capital asset also plays heavily into this. Not only mm-hmm. is you know, folks that can participate, as Dinesh says, a third party that's going to manage that asset class and pool the, you know, the opportunities there, but just the reinvention of work and the idea of what an employee is so this idea of collaborative economy, can I tap into specific expertise as I need it? Uh, and, and it really changed the way we think about our organization and delivery models. Um, I think it's a fascinating, you know, it's, a, it's a corollary, but I think it's very related to this. And, Thank and you. Bonnie, you, you mentioned Zipcar, their CEO, Richard mm-hmm. Chase, is a great quote. He said, you know, my dad had one job his entire career. Uh, I'll have seven, and my son will have seven at one time. And, mm-hmm. and part of how do we compete in a talent model is how do you harness that expertise and that passion to explore and grow. And, by the way, the types of scenarios we're talking about are, are the types of things that a lot of the people on my teams, they get excited about and want to help create these offerings you know, for public good and civic good and for mm-hmm. profitable endeavors. This isn't all altruistic. Um, but Why not? Anyway, yeah. No, good, good, pro- good. Go ahead. Who's that? Sorry, this is Dinesh. Yeah, there is a yes. phrase out there that uh, people are using to try. It's like, um, you know, work is no longer going to be a place but an activity. Yeah. You're going to source You're going to source things from wherever you want at whenever time you want. And as you point out, you know, our kids are going to have, you know, four or five jobs at the same time, which tends to fit with a lot of the multitasking kind of, you know, capabilities that um, the next generation feels more, much more comfortable in doing. And um, work is going to... Work is going to change drastically, and a lot of these economies that this pull is going to actually be part of the part of that. And so, I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with that. Sorry, thank you. Yes, no, no, I appreciate that. And I was going to say that uh, a couple of years ago, in a uh, an HR. Team called Dinesh at SAP. We were we were listening to an expert on work life balance, and we were told there's no such thing anymore. It's now work life integration. And what you just said 
it fits perfectly on that point. We're integrating our work and our what we call life. Work is life. Life is work now. There is a blend and it's integration. It's no longer I'll do this for three hours and then I'll sleep for two hours and then I'll have dinner for three hours and then I'll do that. There is a, a sense of integration because we are doing so many things. Uh, I wonder, and this doesn't need to be answered by anybody, but I wonder for a future show down the road if we'll be talking about making a comeback to work-life balance because people will burn out from all of this work-life integration and from doing so many things if we're just all of a sudden going to say this is just too much for us. I don't know. I don't know where that's going, but that's another show, kids, so we won't talk about that right now. iTunes just popped up and I told it to go away. Now, let's talk to Troy Fulton. Troy's our newbie on the panel today. Troy, in about two sentences, can you tell us what Tango does and Tango, T-A-N-G-O-E, how did it get its name? Talk to me. Uh, I got his name from our, our CEO, uh, Al Saboy, and uh, it, it, it's a way to describe the, the process to provide, um, you know, it, it's a dance with customers, providing what they need. And, uh, you know, Tango's very focused on uh, ensuring our customers are, are, like any other company, right, it's well run, you know, satisfied, they're happy. Have a 95% retention rate, higher. Uh, Tango's in the business of uh, helping companies achieve spend efficiencies for all their IT assets and spend um, and across all their connections. We call it connection lifecycle management. Uh, so we help global companies uh, provide services and software uh, through our matrix platform to help them achieve bottom line millions of dollars in savings that they can either reinvest, uh, but most of the time, our teams, our services teams, help companies integrate what is new quickly, efficiently, efficiently, so they can continue, so they can move on, creating new types of value. Thank you very much. And, Troy, now I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and here's an interesting statement. I don't think we've covered this yet, but if we have, just humor me and just expand on it, please. You say, complete control does not agility make. Tech is a key enabler, but it's not the critical path. So why don't you expand this for us, and then we will invite Bill and Dinesh to chime in. Go ahead, Troy. Sure. So this this came from my teaching of uh, guest lecturing at William Mary uh, MBAs. And what I teach the students is, uh, and when I talk to IT, IT practitioners and IT leaders, just because you have to, you buy the software, you're not done. The software is not the strategy. Uh, it's, it's the beginning. And the, the strategy must come first. The software and the technology is an enabler. The agility part is in the culture, how people will work together and, uh, and sustain collaboration. And it's the companies are going to get much smarter about identifying what is really risk to them, becoming much more comfortable with risk, being comfortable being a stakeholder in a, in a multi-connected ecosystem where their control points may be a lot more limited than they're used to. So, which means that the handoffs have to be more effective. We can't, we have to reach what, what I call uh, more 70% agreement, 100% commitment. Because of what are we trying to achieve in real time? Um, it's, I think that's what, I think that's basically what, what I'm trying to say there. Uh, in that if, 
the other piece to this is um, there's no, in the collaborative sharing economy or in the convergence, right, in the digital world of physical people, things, things like that, digital, there's very little distinction increasingly between the technology and the business. It's all one. They're, they're not these discrete, linear identities. So people have to think in a very different way. And because it's so dynamic and so changing and real-time connected, there's no right answer, which means companies have to continuously examine and experiment over and over again uh, and then figure out what works, you know, add that to the, to the uh, value chain that the be open and willing to disrupt their value chain, be the first to cannibalize before someone else does. It's just a very different way of thinking. And that's another form of disruption. Dinesh Sharma, thoughts on what Troy just shared with us? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we believe implicitly that uh, these two things can't be treated separately anymore, and um, you always have to be thinking about business outcomes first. And we're very fortunate in that uh, when we talk to companies, you know, we look at, um, you know, we have pretty much a financial relationship with most major companies in every major vertical uh, around the world. So we tend to, to have these ongoing discussions about how their business is running. So the discussion always starts with um, a business outcome. You know, why is this like it is? And ultimately, technology then, only if it's economically viable, will come into play. I know um, Troy's mentioned a number of things around IoT. IoT specifically is one of those things where if it, it may be economically viable for certain industries and certain use cases, but the same use case in another industry may be 10 years away from being able to say, yes, we can go ahead and use something like that. And so that's just implicit in how we actually approach business. Uh, and I think in the collaborative economy, I want to go all the way back to something that Bill said. You know, He talked about asset mm-hmm. arbitrage. Uh, it's a much nicer way of to... I, tend to refer to it as smart asset management. Uh, asset arbitrage is a much more important uh, way of looking at it, a uh, much cooler way of looking at it. And I think that that is one of the areas that is actually going to be of considerable interest to companies in terms of how they share uh, you know, resources. Because traditionally, they've, they've had models for uh, acquiring assets or buying products, which are, you know, they thought that gives them an understanding of what their cost structure actually is. I think an example was always given to me in, in the healthcare business of overbuying blood pressure monitors, you know, because they all tend to disappear and suddenly you go to the third floor, you know, one administrator says you pull back a curtain and there's 12 of them. And you just don't know, you know, how did they get there? But then they said, well, we have an overbuying criteria of about 25%. So if you have better tracking of that um, asset, you suddenly don't have to buy as many of them, right? And it is a material value. Those subtle um, um, subtle changes allow you to free up working capital to do things which everybody calls for today, to spend money on innovation, spending money on uh, overbuying assets just so you can make sure that you're never looking around for a blood pressure monitor when you might actually really need one is important. I mean, you can extend that all the way through to assets and, you know, improving airplane maintenance. An airplane is not a, you know, a $5,000 blood pressure monitor. It's a $250 million plane, and you don't overbuy too many of those. And so, you know, it's the ability to be able to have much better idea of your resources, 
when you have a much better idea of your resources, potentially there are opportunities for you to not own those resources. I mean, you hear a lot of talk about companies wanting to offer their products as a service. That really is part of the collaborative economy. They have a much better idea of what their product is. They're loaning you the product. Over time, they're going to make a lot more money off the product because it's more proactively maintained. It's going to last longer. It's just moving to a model which is not um, charging you, um, you know, it's moving to an operational expenditure model. Um, When that happens, everybody benefits. If you think about my opening quote, there has to be mutual benefits. Suddenly, I'm not buying physical assets anymore. I'm buying services. We have a, a company which is a really old, you know, customer of SAP's, just to prove the point that it doesn't always have to be these new, uh, you know, uh, fast-moving companies. You know, they've been a company for SAP. They, they, they make air compressors, and they want to move from selling air compressors to selling you cubic meters of compressed air. And um, basically, they'll sell you. You tell them what rate of air, air that you need. It will determine what kind of size air compressor they're going to go in and fit into your plant uh, or whatever use case you have. And they will sell you compressed air. And suddenly, you know, this goes back to the the, the Airbnb and the Hyatt uh, mm-hmm. uh, comparison I made, which is let's think about the problem that hotels were meant to solve in the first place, which is an accommodation problem. But suddenly, big hotels became the industry, and people stopped thinking about what they were selling, what they were actually, what problem they were solving. Uber is the same case. I mean, I stand on the street corner in in New York and go, "There's never enough cabs in this city." Mm-hmm. That's not the wrong. That's not the problem. There is innate capacity in every system around that we see, and the technologies that we have allow us to do um, bring that capacity out. I think the opportunity for enterprises is for them to look and run much more efficiently by questioning some of the things that they think they own, and they've already started to do that in in subtle ways. Enterprises today look vastly different than they did forty years ago. You know, I was in companies where we owned our cafeteria staff and owned our own security people. You know, mm-hmm. things like that are changing. And as soon as they become part of the norm, we start changing something else. And that's going to be critical for businesses to do what they do, um, to do that, concentrate on their core competency and become the best that they can be and eliminate all those efficiencies, the friction, I think, that one of the, the panelists was talking about before. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, once that happens, then you're operating at peak efficiencies. And peak efficiencies is going to be table stakes soon. Thank it's going you. to be innovation I, on top of that. So. I have a quick question for you before we bring Bill Briggs into this. Bill, just hold, hold the thought, please, for a second. Dinesh, if, do you think if the New York Taxi uh, and Limousine Commission, TLC, allows yellow cab drivers or green car, whatever they are, to use an app that will allow them to respond digitally to passengers, potential passengers, who aren't just waiting on the corner waving their arms seriously, but an app could be used. Do you think that would put them back on the playing field with Uber? Uh, it, will, it will enable them to give customers what they, what they want, which is, I'll be there in two seconds, I'm the yellow cab around the corner, rather than just driving by and seeing everybody get in a Uber cab. What do you think? It will, it will definitely uh, change the dynamic, just because mm-hmm. right now the dynamic is, flipped completely the other way. The convenience yes. of what I get with Uber is completely is what I want. And um, that's something that once you've lost it, it's hard to recapture, but you've at least got to have the same playing field. And once you have the same digital tools underlying that, I think there is an opportunity. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, Bill Briggs, talk to me. A lot, lot on the plate between Troy and Dinesh here. Where do you want to jump in? Anywhere okay with me? Well, the last comment, I think that in a time machine would really help <laughs> to go back and do that five years ago because yeah. Travis's original mission statement for Uber was why, do, why does taking a taxi have to suck, right? I mean, that was the, <laughs> that was the eloquence of the business plan. Um, no, I think, I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot of, I don't want to just retread. I think, you know, the, the statement's made, every company's a technology company. You can't separate business strategy from technology strategy. And it's how do we provoke and harvest this collection of advances we've talked about uh, and others we haven't but play into this, you know, machine learning to help optimize that discovery and 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 the value of the data and services being provided and the like, uh, but uh, so so yes 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 I think the big thing we might not have hit on enough was, you know businesses need need to have a service oriented architecture perspective so so business services how do I think about what I do as a service catalog, to then figure out where there is underutilized under optimized assets, in what I do today and and potentially you know new places I could go as adjacencies or brand new offerings to to help grow and evolve my business. And if that happens, then you know, there's a great opportunity in the technology arena. I spent a lot of my time with the executive team around the IT department, uh, and there is a woeful amount of um, investment in the core because we you know, partly shiny object syndrome that we get captivated mm-hmm. by what's coming next and think that's the next best thing. But in reality, the, the mid the mid back in front office, the investments we've made over years, and probably with three commas describing that investment pool for large companies, there's still a ton of value that's just sitting dormant, and we haven't untapped it. So I sometimes talk about the API economy, you know, how are we building assets and services expected to be reused and expected to be participants in marketplaces like we've described here, uh, and it's a great way to find new life, you know, revitalize, renew uh, your core investments. And by the way, it also helps you have clarity on the roadmap where you, know, you need to modernize, you need to replace uh, pieces of that puzzle. But the, the typical thing, I go back to Troy's statement, you know, the technology is an important enabler, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the, the business needs to have vision and you know, the, in, in, the, the ingenuity and, the, and the institutional fortitude to go after you know, thinking about their world in a different way. Um, and that's hard. But... You know, the nice is. thing is, if if we don't do it ourselves, someone else is going to go and do it for us. Um, there's no moral, there's no moral morality clause or judgment behind disruption. It just depends on which side of the verb you're on, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so, this is a call to Thank arms. Thank you, Bill. It's a hero's Thank here. you. I want to give Dinesh. Uh, Dinesh, we're almost ready for our predictions, and you've been speaking uh, a lot during the conversation. But I would love to touch on one point in your notes before we move. As you know, I like to say, slide into home plate for the crystal ball predictions round. I'm looking at one particular thing toward the end of your notes, Dinesh. You say B to B value. B to B companies are realizing the value of sharing. Can you just speak to us for about two minutes on that, and then we're going to go to our predictions. Um, yeah, I think some of the posts. Uh- um, points I was trying to make was that there were companies, and I touched on it before with a with, mm-hmm. a, with a company like Near Me, but local right. motion, you know, is also you know provides transport for corporate employees. You know, with you know finding the appropriate car at the appropriate time, and so I mean, there really, you know, is a change that's going on. On top of that, there's also the notion of again 
why do we need to own so many of these assets? You know, these assets could be managed by somebody else. It changes our um, you know, capital ac- acquisition strategy drastically. It frees up near-term cash, concentrate on the things which are differentiable. And, you know, and then also, you know, when you think about it, work and the type of work that we want people to do. Um, you know, contingent workforces have, have, have penetrated the workforce. I think, you know, they represent probably, I think, close to 28% of global 2000 spend today on contingent labor. But the types of tasks that are going to be made available are going to be ever-increasing, ever more complex, you know, whether it's marketing or finance or other types of things. You're going to be able to source that type of talent and be able to find it and have the collaborative systems internally to be able to make use of those. So really, you know, again, that goes back to a point I made, you know, five, six minutes ago around companies are going to have to be incredibly nimble, lean, and um, have only core assets. By core assets, is people who are actually employed by the business full-time are going to start to be more and more diminished. So, um, you know, everything is, everything is fair game. Um, and if there is an economic benefit to, to corporations, they will end up using it. Okay. Thank you. And now, thank you, Dinesh. Now it's time to circle back. Bill Briggs, I heard that you dropped off and you came back, and I'm so glad you did because you're first up in our predictions round. And why don't I give you each one minute, one full 60-second minute for a prediction. So, Bill Briggs, let's fast forward this conversation. I love the year 2020, which you probably remember. However, tell me how far into the future you can see. What will be different about the collaborative economy, disrupting enterprises, anything we've been talking about, me versus altruism, the new business model, the sharing economy. Bill Briggs, predictions, 60 seconds, go. I think the, the first thing is this, this just becomes fabric. This becomes the underpinning of business. And the winners are going to be those who can imagine their business differently from the customer and the market back. And then Look at their, you know, their assets, their services, their products, their offerings, and figure out a way to make them not only relevant but differentiated in this digital economy. And we know as things become digitized, they potentially become dematerialized, and eventually they might become democratized and demonetized. Um, and so, hmm. how do we continuously reinvent ourselves? And the winners are going to be those that can imagine it tomorrow and get there from today. Ooh, the winners are going to be those who can imagine it tomorrow and get there from today. I wish I had time to tweet that. Love it. Bill, you've been tweet, you've been speaking in tweetable moments here. Tried to capture some of them. Thank you so much. Troy Fulton, you are up next. 60 seconds predictions. Go. I agree that bringing the future into the present faster before someone else uh, to meet customized outcomes, uh, you'll win. And so it's first mover advantage in the collaborative digital economy matters, especially in 2020 and beyond the network effects or network multiplier effects will be in full swing. Uh, it's platform integration and communication uh, is mature. And what you're going to see is uh, moving from this uh, linear supply chains of you know, manufacturing, building, thinking into more uh, integrated, uh, demand-driven trans, uh, supply chains, value chains. Uh, and as Dinesh was talking about earlier, it's all about outcomes, uh, specific outcomes customized on demand in that moment. 
and it's going to require firms to have uh, rapid collaboration, agility built into their fabric, that uh, operational efficiencies, definitely table stakes, but not enough. It's going to be how fast can you scale, how can you have um, brand identity and ownership amongst your target markets that people trust you more than they trust someone else to deliver their needs on demand in the moment. Those Aha, uh-huh. there's there's that trust word, very important. Dinesh Sharma, I saved exactly one minute for you. Predictions, what year or month or day or week or minute are you looking at? Go ahead, Dinesh, 60 seconds. Yeah, I think right about, you know, at the end of the decade, around 2020, we should be thinking about a lot of us talk, you know, in the topic of big data in terms of analytics and uh, data is the new oil. I think uh, we talk about it in a business concept. But uh, essentially we are moving towards being a data-driven society. But that data-driven capability is is understanding my travel patterns, understanding my accommodation patterns, understanding my eating patterns. All of these things are going to now come into play to provide the services and the, you know in context that I feel I want when I need them. And it, understanding that and understanding the resources and the planning that's required to be able to make those things available at a time and a place of, of a consumer's choosing are, are going to be where the winners emerge in this particular space. And um, it's a fascinating time. And I think um, you know, the level of connections between people, devices, and businesses essentially are going to um, change everything that we think we know about how um, products are consumed and businesses run today. And I think it's happening at a faster pace than anything we've ever seen before. But uh, essentially, you know, we're going to become much more of a data-driven society um, than, than we've ever been before. Thank you, Dinesh. We are out of time. Eloquent as always. I want to thank Bill Briggs at Deloitte and a shout out to our friends at Deloitte, Carla Neal, Amanda Bush, and appreciate your bringing so many really interesting people to our shows. Troy Fulton, such a pleasure to meet you. Troy at Tango, T-A-N-G-O-E. Dinesh Sharma at SAP, our go-to person for these topics. Thank you so much, Dinesh, and I'm glad you're home drinking your favorite tea. Shout out to Wilson Zhu. He told me how to pronounce his name. Z-H-U is Zhu and Mandy Lynn at SAP who've been tweeting and capturing so many good, interesting comments at hashtag SAP Radio and Becky Weber, who sponsors the series. And thank you also to Brad and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in exactly one hour with a new episode of Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, talking about today's retail CMO, another really hot topic. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? All right, share your seatbelt. Maybe not. Go out and be a game changer today. I'll talk to you in an hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.